Well, hey, welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. We have a special episode um, today. Uh, we're honored to have uh, two of the Forge founders, uh, Mike Frost from Sydney, Australia, joining us from Sydney, and uh, Alan Hirsch from Melbourne. And uh, so glad that you guys could be with us um, today to in the midst of kind of a worldwide crisis um, that the, not only the church, but just all of culture and society is trying to deal with. Um, we, especially as uh, church leaders, Jesus people, uh, missional practitioners are trying to figure out how to uh, navigate this um, as the church. So thank you guys for being here. Good to be with you, bro. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very happy. Yeah, and Al, you you kind of got for some expertise. Yeah, uh, Al, you kind of got uh, you quickly got out of the states and got back home to be with family. And uh, but I wanted to ask each of you first, just kind of how you're doing, because I know our Forge tribe uh, will probably uh, be wondering how how you're doing personally, and then we we'll, we can get into some discussion on ecclesiology and and uh, missional topics. Well, um. Yeah, like you said, I've uh, Debs and myself decided to. Debs woke up one morning and said, "Like, I think we just got to go back, you know, back to Australia." And she was particularly concerned about uh, her folks. Her dad is particularly vulnerable. Uh, he's got already got a, you know, a lung disorder, and he's old and he's tired, you know. So, I think a major concern was that, and so we literally. I, and I just thought about it for half an hour. I said, "No, she's right. Let's, let's now's the time, or we won't have the opportunity in in two, three days' time. We'll be gone." And so we literally booked booked a ticket out, and two days later, everything shut down. Australia closed its borders. New York has gone, you know, is on lockdown. You know, yep, we just got out. Yeah, yeah. you guys are doing okay, health wise, personally. Yeah, so we both had a cold and all that. Yeah. You know, so we've been. We have to self-isolate here anyway, so we have been doing that. So everyone coming into Australia has to um, mandatory two weeks self-isolation. Yeah. How are you and Kaz and your family? Uh, yeah, we're all well. So, yeah, no, there's no no uh, dramas in that respect. I mean, our, our oldest daughter is, is pregnant and due in three weeks' time, so... She's well, and in fact, she's surprisingly unconcerned about it all. I don't know if she's in denial or ignorance or what. I mean, she's a she's a science teacher and works as a educator at Sydney Zoo. She's not like oblivious to what's going on, but she's like, ah, I'm fine. I want to get sick. But understandably, Kaz and I are a bit anxious about the fact she has to go to a hospital um, and uh, and deliver. So. But, yeah, at the moment, there's no dramas. Uh, it's a very strange time, I find. And I guess Al's been caught up in all the drama of, like, getting out of America and getting back home and, and uh, self-isolating. Whereas my life has just been going on. And so just watching it kind of close down bit by bit, you know, it's uh, it's been... I'll be honest. I think it's been a bit discombobulating. You know, it's just it's just odd. I'm now I'm now teaching classes via Zoom. Uh, our college is closed down. Uh, the college where I teach is actually in a, what's called a red zone. So three of the seven deaths we've had in this country occurred next door to Malling College at an aged care facility. 
uh, high school down the road from our college has had several cases and the university that we're part of has. So uh, they've shut that whole zone down, um, which, yeah, I, mean, I guess you're just watching your life change very significantly around you while you're still trying to do life. And it is off-putting. I think people are finding it really... Um, not it's not distress. It's not um, it's not terror. It's not a tragedy or, or, or anything terrible like that. It's just you're just thrown. It feels like the ground has kind of shifted a bit out from under you. I'm sure yeah. everyone is feeling that. Yeah, yeah, we're feeling that here too, as well. I heard um, the other day. I heard um, a pastor say that. Um, these are unprecedented times and uh, this isn't a dig on him or anything. I totally understand the statement and I feel like that personally for myself, that it's an unprecedented time. It's not really an unprecedented time for the church though, is it? I mean, in, in history. Um, and I've heard, um, I've heard you speak and write in particular, Mike, um, I think in keep Christianity weird, you kind of, talked about the plagues and how the church responded. And you recently blogged uh, about a story in Columbia. And so um, while these are new, new times for us personally, the church has endured it, hasn't it, in the past? Yeah, and in fact, worse than this. I mean, uh, in terms of numbers of uh, infected and numbers of deaths, this is a pretty minor pandemic. I mean, the concern is that it could grow to be enormous, but up until this stage, uh, it's in the list of terrible pandemics, it comes down pretty low. So, yeah, the Black Plague uh, in well, Europe's had several Black Plagues, but uh, you know, plague uh, swept through uh, tiny vulnerable villages across uh, Europe and, uh, and the Middle East quite regularly. And the church, uh, certainly by the third century, and probably earlier, but we have written evidence in the third century of the church actually. Uh, uh, you know, coming together, realizing that a village, you know, down the road or across the mountains has uh, has contracted plague, and and then seeking God's counsel about which of them should move to that town, minister to the to the sick and dying, uh, uh, proclaim the gospel, and die along with their new neighbors. I mean, that was not uncommon. Uh, we can also think of lots of examples. I mean, uh, throughout uh, uh, the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages where the church did that. Both Luther and Calvin uh, wrote on uh, the responsibility of Christians in the midst of, uh, of plague. Um, we have more recent examples of Damien of Molokai, who went to serve a leper colony on the island of Molokai and contracted leprosy and died along with his new neighbours. Mother Teresa working in a hospice in, uh, in India, um, uh, not, not at a time of uh, necessarily... Uh, threat to her own life, but sitting alongside and serving those who are, who are dying. Uh, yeah, we're hearing those stories all the time. Christians working in Wuhan province right now, doing extraordinary acts of, uh, of self-sacrifice uh, in order to proclaim the gospel and care for the poor. Uh, I heard a story of a magnificent uh, Vietnamese priest in a very remote uh, a province in Vietnam who's basically kind of become the, the community's de facto you know, mayor, chief medical officer, spiritual guide uh, in this in a, in a province that's been kind of cut off or self-isolated. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's 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 when Christians kind of really reveal themselves. Uh, right, right. Just selflessness and love and service. Yeah, Al, what 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 are your thoughts around um, you know the church historically uh, dealing with situations like that and and how that informs kind of where how we're thinking now, how we should think now. Yeah, by the way, I've been moving around because we've got people working on, on the house at the moment and they're making a heck of a noise all over. Yeah. I could have barely hear it somewhere. So I'm trying to dodge them. So if I keep moving, that's what's happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just to, uh, from what I heard of what Mike was saying, I think he's right to say that, you know, we can learn a lot from the church in history. Um, you know, for most of us, um, we're living in a generation that hasn't, experienced you know we've we've experienced some things along the way um you know some wars or but they've been minor not a world war i think the last major kind of global crisis would have been something like the second world war which if you know which was over a five-year period four or five years i mean and of terrible consequences in the long run i think that's is we're not even close to that either this will be done in you know six weeks or whatever uh, three months at the max, you know, we will then deal with an economic crisis, which we've never gone through, for, which I think is just, you know, that's the real issue we're going to have to grapple with. Um, yeah, it's unprecedented. I mean, uh, for us anyway, for our generation, I think this is new ground. But I do, I do believe that um, deep within our kind of the inherent nature of the church is a is a call to respond, um, whatever latent capacity to uh, organize around these issues and do quite well in them. Um, as, as you know, for, for me, one of the primary kind of challenges has been to try and understand the nature of movements. You think of China and the, the, the Communist Revolution, which was a bloody, literally a bloody awful, you know, affair where people were, you know, killed en masse. Uh, the church was literally, you know, it just lost everything it understood about itself for many, many centuries and managed to emerge, you know, flourishing, you know, in, 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 a, in a way you would never have thought. I mean, from 2 million to 120 million in 80 years, I mean, it's phenomenal. So I actually think these things are um, and, and ought to be understood as kind of adaptive challenges that call us to respond and to find resources within ourselves that, uh, that not just survive, but thrive, you know, in these kind of conditions. I think, I think those resources are there. We just got to somehow find them again. I've often said, um, you know, that phrase that, that goes around that crisis breeds innovation, uh, which is kind of what you're saying a little bit that, um, whether it's persecution um, or some kind of failure of a system um, might actually be the birthplace of, of a movement because you have to innovate in order to survive or come out the other side. Um, and the thing that I'm seeing the most uh, being someone that has a foot both in kind of the, the, the missional smaller community world and also uh, the larger church structure world a foot in each place is that the the gathered institution um, is really not prepared for this i mean they 
they don't have an ecclesiology to go to uh, because it has so much been built on the Sunday morning event. And I'm, I'm definitely not putting down the Sunday morning event, but possibly it's incomplete, you know, and, and that's being shown visible now. Um, what are, what are some of your thoughts around how this might look on the other side? I'm kind of asking you to look prophetically, you know, and just say, you know, what, what kind of movements would, would we might, we might see on the other side of this, uh, that the church, um, creates or something blossoms out of it, a new growth comes out of it? Well, I mean, I, before I get to that, I say, and I want to agree with what you just said in the lead up to the question. Um, I feel like this particular challenge is like uh, the lemon juice on the invisible ink that's written on our church contracts about our ecclesiology. Um, Whenever you talk to a minister uh, of a traditional or, or, or standard kind of evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal kind of church about missional, they'll always say, oh, no, no, our Sunday meeting is not the be-all and end-all. We have all these other things going on through the week and are very engaged in you know, the life of the town and, or the, or the neighbourhood. Uh, there'll be lots of talk about us being kind of missional even though that Sunday morning meeting help, can, helps to contribute to that. Uh, but what we've seen now, as you've just alluded to, um, Roland, is that it's kind of like what this virus has done is it's brought out the unwritten, uh, invisible ecclesiology, the real one, the one that you actually operate on. And I think some churches uh, have, have discovered actually, sheesh, our, our ecclesiology might be a little bit more, you know, Roman Catholic or Greek Orthodox or High Anglican. And that is to say, where we run a, a rite or a, a series of rituals that occur, you know, on a Sunday at a given time and place, and the congregation comes and partakes in those. Um, and it, it's, it's actually taken a virus, which has taken away that possibility for these churches to kind of like read the invisible ink and see, oh, hold on. Yeah, we do have things going on during the week, but they pale by comparison to the importance we place on that Sunday gathering. So I would want to say, before we talk about what, you know, what might come out the other side, I think it's worth celebrating the fact that this is helping to clarify for a lot of people. And the ones that I'm talking to from more traditional churches are saying, yikes, I had no idea how thrown we would be once that Sunday gathering goes. And in a way that's like, oh, this is learning for me. Mm -hmm. I've been denying that we're very Sunday focused, but gee, you take the Sunday away and there's not a whole lot left behind that. So when I say I'm celebrating, I'm not celebrating anyone's death or anyone's suffering. I mean, it's a terrible right. Right. bug. But I do think if we're going to look at the effect that it's having on churches, it is clarifying for churches what their actual ecclesiology is and how far they are from, from being missional, which I think is a good thing because, well, to the degree to which it actually promotes or catalyzes their desire to think more about how they move through it. So we what all have seen, like initially, what did most, what have most churches done? They've just either filmed pre-recorded worship services and then streamed them on Sunday, or they've live streamed using kind of Zoom or some other platform. And again, it was pretty much like a pastor kind of speaking 
Um, it's just their fallback position. But the ones I'm talking to are saying, yeah, it's not good enough. Like that's, that's our first go-to place, but we're gonna rethink this whole way of what it means to be church and how, how we get through this particular challenge at the time. I don't know if that resonates with, uh, with you guys, that in fact, you know, it's a crisis of ecclesiology, yeah. other than an ecclesiology, it's, an, uh, it's making them aware of the one they've actually been operating on. Yeah. I think, and if I may throw in on that, I think the incredible over-reliance of this Sunday gathering and Sunday service means that we, you know, we, we really have no real idea what the church looks and feels like beyond a Sunday gathering. So this, I think, to affirm what Frosty has just said, I mean, um, underscores that it, it's exposed our weaknesses. Uh, and here's maybe a more positive metaphor is to say, um, if you wanted to learn the game of chess, apparently this is the way you do it. You take your queen out before, before you know, you, you start, your opponent will keep the queen in and they're going to cream you for a long time. But what's going to happen is you're going to eventually stick in there with the other kind of chess pieces and learn what they do. And then once you've gone and mastered them, because actually a, a pawn can actually take out a king if you're very clever with him. Um, but because we over-rely on the queen, when you're ready, you put the queen back in. If you think about the way that most churches lead, it is with the queen is the Sunday service or the sermon, depending on the worship if you're Pentecostal. It all depends on that thing. And, and, and it's exposed to the fact that we really don't know what the other pieces do. But we're going to have to very, very quickly discover the other dimensions of Ecclesia that, that really are, were already there, um, but waiting to be rediscovered in this grand, oh shit moment that we find ourselves in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I really appreciate the positive uh, angle on that, Mike, um, that you bring to it. I mean, the thing that, uh, and I don't, you know, I try not to exist in negative thoughts about it all, but uh, I, I kind of wonder what churches are going to do if this lasts you know, two months, three months, six months. Because um, obviously the first week, uh, everyone goes to live streaming the exact same thing they do. Worship band, lights, fog machines, sermon, the whole bit. Um, second week, everyone's a little bit more innovative. Um, you know, this morning we did kind of a living room setup, you know, which is a little more... Um, you know, a little more small gathering feeling, but it was still a live stream. Um, and we can keep innovating in a good direction. But if this thing is over in three weeks, you know, does the church just relegate back to what it knows? Or, you know, how how do we keep moving forward in the discussion? And so, I mean, I think in Forge America, we've, we've been wondering that. It's like, what are, what are some of the things that we can grab onto, the handles that will move the conversation, keep moving the conversation forward um, out of this? Um, well, I think it's not going to last three weeks. I mean, and I mean, it's going to be at least, you know, six to nine months of flow through. So um, it's going to be a significant kind of challenge. Uh, it won't be a month or two. Uh, it might be three or four, but it possibly could be even longer. 
So I do think it's a game changer. I mean, I, I work in the education sector. It's going to be a massive game changer for the education sector. They've been talking about online education and remote learning for, oh my gosh, what, 20, 30 years, but have not really ventured into it to the degree to which now we're, we've been dragged. So once students get a taste of what they're being offered now, it's like, will they ever want to go back to lecture rooms and will we ever mm. like, reversion back to the way things were? Um, to some degree, yes, but I think it will be a, a, a true game changer in the education sector. And I suspect, uh, yeah, in, in Germany as well. I mean, right, Roland, if it lasts three, four weeks, everything will just go back exactly the same. It'll just be like, whoa, that was a bad month, wasn't it? But <clears throat> it won't. It's got to take longer than that. And so, like, I mean, I loved Al's metaphor of taking the team. But, I mean, yeah, we're going to have to lose a lot of games to yeah. that metaphor. We're going to have to stumble and fall for, for a while until we figure out how to play with that. Uh, and then when the Queen does come back into play, maybe she won't play the same role that we've been relying on yep. her to do. So, yeah, it, it's, it is a, it's not easy. It's, it's very distressing. Pastors start to ask themselves questions like, well, what do I do if I'm not preparing a 30, 40-minute sermon? Like, how do I fill in my time? Uh, how do I do pastoral care? Uh, I was talking to a pastor the other day saying, do I have to phone people? <laughs> it was kind of like, this is... It's unheard of. Like, how am I going to connect with people? So it actually will have significant impact on how we understand pastoral care, what the role of home groups or small groups are, what does this mean for, like, discipleship and learning and accountability and all those kinds of things. And for Forge and, you know, ours and my heart, it's got to have uh, repercussions for what does the mission of God's people look like when it's not just about come come along to church with me on Sunday. And just to, just to uh, again, reiterate that too, uh, you know, even if you say it's only three months of closure of church, you know, and then maybe they can have gatherings again. Most churches are about two, three weeks away from bankruptcy anyway. They've got, you know, two, three offerings away from not being able to operate. They don't have big budgets. And the, the reality is that the economics on the other side of this is that's where the game changer really lies. There is no way that we're going to afford the big buildings or the, the kind of staffing programming. I can't see that. I think what we're looking at now is, if, if not a depression, a very serious recession that's going to take years to get out of and because the whole world is turning down. So it's all system that's locking up at the moment and to, to people are going to be out of jobs. And I know, and my, con my deep concern about friends in, in New York city now, who are doing it hard already in the church plants or the various churches they're trying to run, trying to do the kind of classic attractional thing. And it's not working in New York city. It barely works. Uh, they're not going to survive this unless they're very, very clever. And, and they're going to have to be highly adaptive to, to survive this thing because it's the economics are just not going to allow it. So it's, it's, it's really, you know, a really a big issue, no matter how you figure this out. No, no going back. You know, we have to go forward. And here's the challenge. We have to have a vision of a church in mission, uh, a thriving church. And I th think is what we as Forge need to offer. We've been on this for years now. Uh, in a sense of what does it mean to be the church beyond the kind of Sunday gathering 
you know, how do we kind of venture into the neighborhoods and be the people of God? Even, even if you had to go electronic, having small groups meet and you can then, do, you know, transmit to that, but you're all still commissioning them into mission, they might never want to come back. And maybe that's the gift. Is actually you're releasing God's people into local mission, you know, where they actually have to, you know, to step up, you know, to the plate and, and, and take their, their responsibility as, as agents of the king in every sphere of domain in society. So, yeah, this is, this is, it's exciting and tragic at the same time. I think, right. I think, I think we're going to discover a more vigorous, after the, after the damage, I think we'll come through much stronger. Yeah. Yeah. I agree totally with what Al just said. And, but at one level, um, it is a time when neighbours are discovering each other, in some cases for the first time ever. So I appreciate that if you're in total lockdown, like Italy or Spain or New York or California, things are very significantly impeded. But until Australia is in that context, um, we're still able to engage with neighbours. And there are so many reports of people dropping letterbox, uh, dropping notes in letterboxes, offering help, uh, shopping for each other, uh, meeting for the first time. So this is beyond the church. In some cases, this is catalyzed by church people, but I, a woman yesterday telling me that she was preparing a note like, hey, she wasn't going to say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm here to help, but she said that was what was in my mind. And then I went to my letterbox and there was a note from someone else, like a neighbor, saying, hey, why don't we start our Facebook uh, um, street page? Why don't we um, fill in? Uh, there was a questionnaire thing. Do you need any help uh, shopping, uh, you know, uh, someone to chat to, all that kind of stuff? And she's like, oh, my neighbours beat me to it. So our neighbours are discovering neighbourhood. And like Al, I mean, are they wanting to go back to, to that kind of suburban life afterwards? I don't think so. I think there'll be a kind of taste of connection and interdependence that should be music to our ears. It should be like, perfect. That's The struggle has always been for suburban churches that neighbours don't know each other and sometimes don't really want to know each other. So how do we connect there? But in a way, this is kind of, it's kind of like, like applying manure and nutrients to the soil. It's kind of churning up the, the soil or the dirt and turning it into soil in which actually planting of kind of initial initiatives could could be perfect. So in a way, there are things we can really celebrate with this current challenge. Yeah, I'm, I'm part of a Facebook group um, on Corona Street, ironically enough, uh, which wow. is a street, right? <laughs> we don't live on Corona, but it's right here uh, beside us. And uh, yeah, a lady baked bread today and just dropped it off at a bunch of houses, you know, and so I'm, I'm seeing that kind of stuff um, happen all over. I, I was listening to one podcast and um, a guy said it, he was making the point, it takes like six to eight weeks to break a habit, uh, you know, whether that's dieting or exercising or whatever, whatever it is, it's once you get past that six or eight weeks that it becomes a rhythm. And so you kind of wonder if people aren't able to go to a big building on Sunday morning for about eight weeks and they discover some of these things that taste good in their neighborhood and their context that they, uh, they hang on to that. Um, and especially if maybe house churches or those kinds of gatherings um, start forming when people can start getting back uh, together again. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's like if a pastor heard you say that, that would strike terror into their hearts because that's their big fear. Six or eight weeks of this, and no one's going to come back to church when we put the queen back on the board. Um, let alone as what Al said before about the financial implications of that. I mean, I was reading something the other day about someone saying, "Well, here was my my journey out of Christianity." And for the first month or so, I felt really bad about not going to church. But after that, you know, a bit like you're saying, uh, Roland, it's like, yeah, I got out of the habit and it was fine. I felt great after that. And, yeah, that is the fear that lots of pastors have. No money, no people, and they're not going to come back. And the reality is, I mean, you know, let's just say it. I mean, like, you know, unless you kind of some sexy megachurch thing, I can be honest that, you know, most gatherings are pretty uninspiring and, you know, it doesn't offer real community. It doesn't really hyper-stimulate. You know, I think you, people are going to find it's, you know, yeah, the, yeah, the, the change of habit, habit pattern is going to change things. I also know just another irony, we're celebrating ironies here, living on Corona Street and all that, but, the, the irony here is that actually one of the great, again, another gift to us perhaps is actually the virus is teaching us how to be a virus. And I think that's, you know, I was like thinking about reappropriating some of the proverbs where it says, like, go to the ant. I say, go to the virus, you sluggard, and learn from its ways. <laughs> it's interesting, like, you know, social media uh, technology now allows us to go viral in, in a big way. Now, you know, we need to find other ways to have community, real community. But, man, we, you know, this could be really interesting as you can actually really get the, the a viral impact if we're very clever about this. Uh, you know, leveraging off smaller kind of more adaptive kind of communities and then, you know, platforming properly and using platforms really well, you know. It's just that we'll, we'll need a we'll need a well-equipped leadership to manage that, Al. Because at the yeah, moment, a totally different way of organising. Right. Yeah. Because at the moment, like a typical church, you might think, oh well, okay, let's let's drive this. And we're not going to meet on Sundays. The home groups or the smaller groups are going to be the key factor here. But lots of those are led by. It depends on what they are, but often they're led by people who see them as Bible study groups or just connection groups, and so. The experience I've heard from lots of people is, okay, well, now we're all communicating via WhatsApp or via Zoom. But a lot of the communication just is kind of dopey, funny. I saw this funny meme. Um, what do you think about that? It's just kind of chit-chatty kind of blah, blah, which is fun. It's a, a way to connect. Uh, but unless those leaders figure out a way to elevate that into kind of discipleship into kind of accountability and nurture and even thinking about kind of uh, mission and service of others, it'll eventually it'll just get sick of the blah, 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 and yep. that resolve as well. Totally agree. Pastors need to, you know, they need to equip small group leaders to see themselves as missional, leaders of missional communities and to equip them to, in order to equip their groups to think about this differently. Yeah, so so it's interesting uh, on that, you know, um, the, uh, you know, again, most most have not. I, mean, I think like it's learning maybe to to reorganise. It's interesting and I think one of the, the challenges and I think, dare I say, I think the whole APEST thing comes to the fore here, 
is that most of the ways we do church has been designed around the shepherd or the pastoral teaching function. And they're perfectly designed for that, actually. You can't complain about it. They're designed for that kind of purpose. Um, but uh, actually, uh, you know, I think it's, we're going to have to rediscover the other resources, you know, available to the church and given to the church already in the ascension. So one of the things that the resources and movement thinking is that all these things are retrieval. So like it's about all the potentials are latent within us. And now's the, the, the catalytic opportunity to go delving and find them because God has already given us. He's given us everything we need to get the job done. The church will survive this if it can recover those resources that have always been there, but we've missed them. And uh, so one of them is going to be the APEST resource. And I think we need to reframe church, particularly in this time, I think within an APE, particularly an apostolic frame, because that's the scalable you know, virus-like growth pattern. And we, we're going to have to think of the church through a different lens, and I think that's where, where we can find some resource. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I, I want to um, also lean into existing institutional churches that will make it to the other side of this. And I guess my, my hope is always for redemption of, of um, the structures because I come out of those, I guess. And so I'm hoping that innovation finds its way into, you know, those churches of 500 or 800 or whatever, where they learn some different incarnational rhythms in addition to um, the gathering that they have. And, um, you know, and that's one thing Forge America is leaning into, and I'm not trying to make this a sales pitch, but in trying to be partners with some churches, is and do partnerships is to is to inform missional rhythms in addition to the gathering and um and so i i kind of wonder what people might discover what pastors might discover um good things that they might discover um on the other side of this and, and maybe it's the people in the church themselves as they learn hey this is what we did in our neighborhood this was uh, these were some great stories that happened, uh, you know, with, with our neighbors, and those become part of the rhythm of that church community when they're able to to finally gather together. Yeah, I mean, I think it has implications for the way in which we disciple people to see their work as missional. I mean, at this time, obviously, if you're a doctor or a nurse or a childcare worker or a teacher, it's inherently obvious that. This is part of the mission of God to, to serve others. But um, if you own a coffee shop and it looks like it's going to go under because, uh, you know, you can no longer uh, open it to seated customers or, uh, you know, you're letting staff go or, you, I mean, you know, what does it mean to think about a small business through the eyes of the gospel? What does it mean to think about your, your function as an educator or, or, a, uh, or a producer or, you know, working in a factory or... Or, or, or an artist or a filmmaker. I mean, what, what, we haven't even cracked that. That's an intrinsically missional agenda to help people to see their work as the work of God in this world and to, to, to shape and to contribute to every kind of uh, uh, domain or aspect of, of society. Well, now is the time we really need to recover that kind of work. Plus that over and above that, there's the stuff we've kind of majored on talking about, which is, 
about engagement with neighbours and neighbourhood and acts of service and kindness and those kinds of things. It feels like the first or the second of those is the one we're, we're trying to figure out. Uh, but I don't, want to, I don't want us to forget about that, uh, that other piece because now more than ever, I think, we need to help people to understand their worlds through the vision of the gospel, through that lens, rather than just as a means to make money to fund the mission of the church. Well, so as a couple of guys that helped found this whole movement that we call Forge, um, and we, we have, obviously we're going to have a lot of hub leaders um, listening to this and people that, that work in this space. Um, what, what would you say, and I'm a hub leader, so what would you say to us that are hub leaders um, that have this potential opportunity, this gap, this um, um, void that's happening right now? Uh, how do we step into that? Um, and maybe, maybe some strategic, even some strategic ideas on, on how you would do that. Um, and engaging conversations or talking to pastors or um, helping tell stories, launch little movements here and there in our context. What are the things you think of for hub leaders? Well, I would say just simply, I mean, recognize that for such a time as this, um, I think we've already noted that, you know, Forge really started out of the shaping things to come. That was our curriculum that, you know, and it was really written up, you know, and, you know, even there we, you know, there's the old prefiguring of this stuff and we've had a hard time of it. And even, you know, to, to get the church to buy in on this idea has been very, very, very difficult. So marginal, uh, we have to be honest, marginal impact. You know, we've definitely, there's definitely been some, you know, kind of advancements there, but, you know, I think right now, I think everyone's going to fund, you know, our currency has just gone right up. And I, I think we shouldn't, and I mean, that doesn't, you know, be self-promoting on this idea, but at the same time, no, this is our responsibility. Um, step up. And I, I would say, don't be shy. I think, you know, we have some, not all the solutions, but we have some for a church in crisis that now has to find a new way of being. In a sense, we have been on that for a long time. So I think we need to to help train leaders, uh, to help them rethink and to come up with new possibilities, to experiment, to innovate in new forms of ecclesia, to be creative, to find the church pop up in places we never thought it would ever have done, to, you know, with buildings, without them, finding in third places, third places are going to be very, very important after this because we want, you know, you know, to get a meaningful size, you know, we need to find other places together. I think it's a great opportunity to, to, um, to really, you know, affirm really what we've been saying for a long time. Yeah, I would say um, pastors are in grief and shock at the moment. And so I would say uh, treat them uh, with kid gloves. Now's not the time to kind of go bolster, not that anyone here is suggesting that, but now's not the time to go kind of uh, charge again with like, see, we told you so, like, you know, Listen to us now, uh, because they're, I mean, a lot of the pastors I've talked to are like really, really shocked and grief stricken. Their, their whole sense of kind of purpose and being and calling is, 
is changing all around them. And so I would say um, reach out to pastors, uh, express compassion, uh, let them know that you understand how difficult and painful this time is, um, and offer to help. Uh, we've been workshopping on what it means to be missional for, you know, 20 odd years now. Uh, we have connections, we have resources, we have access to materials, we have, uh, we have articles, we have blogs. Uh, how can we help you? What do you need? So resource pastors to start to think um, creatively, um, um, but do so with a, with a pastoral intent to support and help. I would also say take this time, and now you've got time. Uh, this is the other great thing about this is, uh, church land was the busiest land in the world. I mean, we're all like running from one thing to another and no one had any time to ever do anything. Now, heaps of time. Like, right. it's like someone contacted me the other day. Can I interview you for something? Yeah, sure. You pick the time. Like, <laughs> so it's like we actually have time on our hands. So I would be saying like now, try and vacuum up all those great stories, like the story of the lady on Corona Street, like handing out cakes. Like, let's start gathering a, a, a repository of those kinds of stories, big, small, impressive, every day, and kind of start disseminating those because nothing stimulates the imagination like stories of something that, uh, that we're not doing but that we could be doing. Provide resources. Um, Share as many stories, ideas, uh, articles, advice that you possibly can. I think this is a time now where, as we've already said on a few occasions, people are wide open and desperate for anything they can get their hands on. Uh, start, start sharing. Uh, not pontificating, but, but coming with kind of open hands and a genuine desire to support uh, and to help. Um, I've noticed this a few times. I've shared something the other day about how, look, don't, don't just live stream a whole service. Like, think more creatively. And I had a couple of pastors really, really upset. And as we drilled down on it, it wasn't upset that I'd said the wrong thing. It was that I, that they're sad and I wasn't really acknowledging that. So just be conscious of that. Um, I think that we we can really be seen as incredibly effective consultants at this time. Well, hey, I appreciate your, uh, your time uh, from Australia and uh, glad you and your families are doing well. And I know that uh, Forge America um, and everyone that's going to hear this really appreciates just getting both of you guys on the line to talk through this a little bit. And um, we're going to continue here in uh, the States, all the Yanks are going to continue to try to innovate um, on this side of the ocean and, um, and do just what you said, which is to lean in and, and kind of help the church think, uh, think about innovation and think a little bit differently. So um, I really appreciate you being with us today and uh, blessings to both you guys. Okay. You bet. Good to talk to you. Peace all right. Peace, Alan. Thank you. Hey, thanks for joining us on this uh, special edition of the Forge America Missional Podcast. Uh, great conversation with Alan Hirsch and Mike Frost. Uh, these are challenging times uh, for those of us that are church leaders, missional practitioners, uh, trying to figure out our incarnational presence and in the community and so we would invite you into that conversation and we'd love to help you in any way that we can 
Uh, so please get on forgeamerica.com, hit the connect us button, or feel free to email us if you'd like a conversation. Uh, we're happy to jump on a phone call or a Zoom call with you and discuss how you can be thinking about innovating um, in this crisis. So our prayers are with you. Our heart hurts for many of the communities that are struggling in this. And if we can be of any help at all, uh, we would love um, to be there for you. And so uh, we look forward to the next podcast and encourage you to jump on iTunes and subscribe uh, as we'll continue having conversations on this going forward. See you later.